impossible. God, any mountains you can't tunnel through. God specializes in things thought impossible. And he will do what no other power can do. Praise the Lord. That's a fun song to sing, isn't it? Amen. Praise the Lord. If you could, just while you're standing, I'd like to read from Genesis chapter 1 and also Genesis chapter 2. Very happy to be gathered into the house of the Lord today. Happy to be gathered together with you. And we appreciate the invitation from Brother Ed, our friend, to be here and to minister this weekend. And had a tremendous time with the young people. And uh, just a wonderful atmosphere created by the youth themselves. And they came with a great expectation so I, I just enjoyed being able to deliver the word to them, and they received it gladly. I trust there was a, a personal blessing and benefit to each one of them that were there. Uh, we bring greetings to you from Hickory Bible Tabernacle there in North Carolina, and our pastor, Brother Barry Coffey, they sent special greetings to you, and a specific greeting to Brother Harold Hildebrandt, and I know he's not here, and I've been told it's not because I'm here but that uh, it's just an opportunity that he had to go on vacation. So we're grateful that he has that, that leave and that privilege to go. And special greetings to him and also to Brother Ed. And we really appreciate the friendships and their stand for the word of the Lord and just to see the work of God continuing and the Lord just putting his men in the right places to, to see that his work is finished because we're living in the hour of the finishing. Amen. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, We'll read verses 26 to 28, and then we'll skip to chapter 2, verse 18. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And then verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 18 to 25. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, And every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found to help meet for him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man." And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace that is upon us to be able to come this morning and to gather together with so many. Lord, to see a, a house full of believers, of a very unique and precious faith in this end time, and to know that we share a confidence in your word and that we share a a common characteristic to be able to hear your voice. And though we're living in a dark time, we share the characteristic of being light. 
And it's wonderful when we can gather together, even in a beautiful sanctuary, Lord, on a beautiful day with beautiful people, and to have this bond in the Word such as we have. And Lord, we've been revived and refreshed even as we've worshiped. Specials were sung, and it lifted our hearts up, even encouraged to see the ones that are amongst us that have been sick, or the Lord spared. And so, Father, we're in the right place right now just to open up our hearts and hear from you. And Lord, as you have directed me to a specific subject, and Lord, I know there might be some uh, lengthy buildup this morning. Lord, I just pray that it would be something that could come to a point that would strike someone's heart and encourage them and affect change. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you, desiring that you bless the word which we have read, those things that would be shared uh, from my lips, Lord. May the Holy Spirit harness them, use them for your glory, and bless your people. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I, I, my title is, I just want to have a real simple title. It's called Family Life. And I'm going to take maybe a long way. And when I say long, I don't mean lengthy in terms of time, but maybe just a lot of substance to get to a spot um, to kind of put the family in perspective. And so I appreciate your patience and your ability to pull upon the word of the Lord. Uh, different ministries approach the word from different angles and have a different manner of delivered delivery but uh, what matters is the matter and so it's not so much the manner that matters but it's the matter that matters and if my manner is a little bit different than what you would want to see from a visiting minister or from what you're accustomed to uh, then just kind of focus on the matter and I think that's what will matter the most I, I want to begin with a statement and this is really what uh, forms uh, the the real inspiration behind what I would like to share with you uh, for the few moments that we have today. In The Power of Transformation, Brother Bram's describing this scene. He says, there was Adam and Eve walking in the garden, every seed bringing forth. It never could do nothing else. It never could do nothing else because God said, let it be that way. And it had to be that way. So he's describing uh, Adam and the woman in God's Eden where he had given a commandment that each seed that had been sown must bring forth of its kind. So it's got to come to uh, this perfection. It's got to come to this expression. And as he's describing this and he's pondering it and speaking on the subject of power transformation, he says, oh, I'd like to stop. Oh, how I'd like to stop here just a minute to say, see, there is where we are facing yet the completion of that word. And so something moves upon the prophet's heart as he's uh, uh, bringing forth this image and describing this image of Adam and the woman bringing for each seed bringing forth of its kind and this great expression there in the beginning. And as he's saying this, something strikes his heart and he makes this impression upon us that that's what we're facing today is the completion of that word. So he's describing that word. He's describing that scene. He's expressing something to us. And then he wants us to catch and understand that we're to complete whatever picture was being expressed then. That there was something that was coming to pass and we're to complete and finish what was being portrayed then. And, and I want to just amplify that and approach it from a, a very specific direction but lay a lot of pieces to the foundation Brother Branham writes in uh, chapter 3 of the church age book as he writes about the Ephesian church age. He says God's intention or his purpose, this is what he intended for his creation, man, is to express his words. So the very purpose of creation is to express his words. 
He even brings it down to this very specific purpose that the reason why God created the earth was to get a bride out of it. Because that's God's original heart purpose is to have a bride of his choosing. So his intention for his creation was for man, his creation of man, was that he would express the word. He says in Genesis, Adam was given the word to live by. A life lived by the word would be the word expressed. And I want to join this principle where Brother Bram says God's intention for creating man was that man would be an expression of his word. And he says, so Adam was given a word and Adam had to live by that word. And a life lived by that word would be the expression of the word. So we cannot be the word expressed unless we live the word that we're given. So we have to be given a word to live by, then we have to live by that word, and that becomes the word expressed, and then God's purpose is fulfilled. And so when Brother Branham says that what we're facing today is the completion of that word, then we have to have that word given to us, and then we have to live by that word for the word to be expressed, and that completes God's purpose. There's a number of statements that we could read uh, to emphasize this particular part but I want to take the statement from leadership. There, December 7th of 1965, Brother Bram coming to the very end of his ministry. He says, so in the last days, now you see it's wheat time now. It's getting harvest time. This is not Luther's age. This is not Pentecost age. And we know that Brother Branham went to great lengths to make the Pentecost age synonymous with the Laodicean age. So when he refers to the Pentecost age, he's actually referring to the Laodicean age. He says... And he says, this is the bride age. So we've entered into a very specific dispensation. While Laodicea continues into chaos, there's something that dawns upon the elect of God's people to where they've taken, and I, I want to use my words very carefully here, they've taken the benefit of the Pentecostal age, and they've taken the momentum of it, and they've gone further. Because there's, the, the bride age isn't, isn't something that looks down upon the Pentecostal age. Ah, they, there was nothing to it. God never did anything. It was all just a bunch of unrighteous partaking. It was something before its time. No, that, that's not how Brother Branham described it. Genuine move of God. The last order of the Reformation. A restoration of the gifts. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, and you see that there had been a restoration back of all those things that were taken away. But there was still yet a final part of the restoration. Because once, the, once that part is re being restored, then God wants to finish the purpose of all of it. So when he says we're in the harvest time, that means we're in the time of completion. We're in the time of the fullness of expression. And that's what the bride age represents. It's coming back to the fullness, back to the, the very purpose of God being expressed and being completed. And, and it's wonderful being able to minister to a group that is faithfully taught and, and having so decades of good teaching and good ministry and just even the solid ministry that continues in this church. It's very easy just to make reference to certain things and you're able just to kind of pick it up. We know where that comes from. We know where that comes from. And, and maybe my, my tendency is to want to just take that one statement on the bride age and just preach several services on it. And you go away thinking, well, okay, well, you can't deny that. Uh, but I just want to lay that in there. So that we understand what kind of the, uh, the, the area that we're dealing in. And then Brother Branham, and we'll read a few other statements from Christ as the mystery of God revealed. He makes this statement, the threefold purpose of God manifested in Adam and Eve. And that's a, that's a very heavy statement because we know all the things he says about the threefold purpose of God. And what he's saying is that it was originally first manifested in Adam and the woman. 
So the threefold purpose of God, which his first purpose is to express himself in Christ. The second purpose is express himself in bride. So you have the bridegroom, you have the bride. And the third purpose was a restoration back to the Garden of Eden. And he's saying, so it was already manifested in Adam and the woman. So the a- Adam and the woman ha- held the mystery and even manifested the mystery of the purpose of God. There, there was something in that arrangement. There was something in that expression that hid and therefore hid also revealed the mystery of God. Because God is hid in simplicity and revealed in the same. So you'll find God where he hides. And so if he was hidden, if the mystery was hidden in Adam and the woman, then he's also revealed in Adam and the woman. So the threefold purpose of God manifested in Adam and the woman, but to others it's hid in them. And so what we're facing today is the fulfillment of the original purpose of God. We are facing today, as Brother Ram says, the completion of that word. This is to where it's to finally come full circle, the cycle to be completed, and God to achieve what he was desiring to achieve all along. And and to make this point so you can understand uh, the trajectory that I see in the word of God, the restoration of the bride is not only back to Pentecost, but Brother Ram says beyond Pentecost. And so in the restoration of the bride and the ministry of Malachi 4, the bride is brought back to Pentecost. And we see that Brother Branham, even after the Pentecostal move, the genuine move of Pentecost, the Azusa Street revival, and, and, and the Holy Ghost itself being the messenger to that age, and a very genuine move of God, he said. And these were genuine Pentecostals. And he even says that that move there even represented what fell on the day of Pentecost. And so this this transpires and takes place, but then they fall away from that. So the ministry of Malachi 4 is to pick that up also. So now he revives that. He revives sanctification, revives justification, and he sows the seed of the entire Bible. And so we are restored back to it, but not just restored back to Pentecost. The bride's restoration is also not just restored back to Pentecost, but our calling is to fulfill the potential of it. So we are restored back to it, but once we get back, we're not like, well, here we are, we've arrived. But rather now with the restoration back to it, the bride is called to fulfill everything that that first church was called to fulfill. And, and you'll find that Brother Branham teaches this in the church age book, Spoken Words, the Original Seed, is that the first woman that was given to man, that she fell, and he uses a language saying before he could come to her, Adam would have come to her. He says before he could marry her is a term that he uses. So before there was a further expression of that bond, he said that woman fell. Then he uses the same image to say, well, just as Adam was given a wife, so also was Christ. On the day of Pentecost, he was given a wife. He says, but before he came to her, she had also fallen. So just as the original woman did not go into a further expression, Brother Bram says that the first church did not go further. He says he would have come to her, but before he could, she had been fallen. So if I want this to be impressed upon you, because this is the vision that I have before my mind as I minister these things you today are fulfilling what the woman in the beginning did not fulfill and what the first church did not fulfill and so you can say it is the same church it is the same woman it is the same gospel everything's been restored back perfectly but now you have the privilege in this hour to take that last step that they didn't even take and I and I would say it's because the headship has come 
And so we're, we're facing today the completion. And so the purpose of God is completed by fulfilling what God started to manifest in the very beginning. Brother Bram in Christ is a mystery, says his threefold purpose, to manifest himself in Christ Jesus Christ, to come into the body by Jesus Christ, to have the preeminences, to restore back Eden, bring back that which is lost. So he, the first purpose, to manifest himself in Jesus Christ. The second purpose is to come back into that body and have preeminences. This is what's unfolding now. This is what takes place at the opening of those seven seals. It's Christ coming back into his bride to have preeminences and to restore back Eden, bring back that which was lost. And so he says it this way in the same message. It's a revelation. It's as eternal as God's word is eternal. Look, the threefold purpose of God's great mystery is revealed. God manifested in Christ. Christ manifested in the church in order to redeem the lost Eve back to the original condition in the Garden of Eden. So it's not only to restore back Eden, but it's to restore her back, the bride back, to the original condition. It says also to, uh, to put her back to her rightful position next to her mate or to her bridegroom. To bring her back to her position with her bridegroom again. So Brother Bram's not just trying to describe maybe an atmosphere of Eden, but it's a condition of the woman. He wants to restore her back to her rightful position again with her husband. To bring her back, the woman, back to the original condition in the Garden of Eden. So that's what this word is to do. That's why the mystery of what was in the back part of God's mind is made plain to us and opened up to us. Is because the woman, the bride, and you as members of it are to be brought back to your original position with your bridegroom. He's here to reveal himself to you that you may know your mate, the revealed word. So it's a, it's a condition. It's a position. And the original condition in the Garden of Eden was the man and the woman under the word. The man and the woman arranged together under a word commandment. And we find that commandment in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now that's the image of God. Because in the beginning, before there was nothing but God. And that's a hard thing for us to get our minds around. Because if you said, well, uh, where's so and so? Well, they're at home alone. They're there by themselves. We, we begin to think about space and time. How long have they been there? And, and you think about the house and the dimensions and the space. But God existed and nothing else existed. It was just God. But in God were eternal attributes. And at the heart of God was a bride of his own choosing. And so God wanted to achieve a bride to himself. And Brother Bram said in this age he does it. In order to do that he couldn't just form a bride. Because had he formed a bride, now there would be a bride and she would have this existence outside of God. And she would have just been there and it would be like, okay, what's next? What is this? And so in order for God to achieve to himself a bride, he had to first form himself. 
And so it, there, you can see this great picture of God unfolding. Brother Brown even says it that way in question and answers on Genesis. He says it's God's picture unfolding all the time. He's talking about Adam and Eve, the supernatural there. He says just God's picture just unfolding. It's God unfolding himself. And so when he created man in his image, there's an expression of God that now is existing. Even as God formed himself into the Logos and created all the things that existed in this spiritual realm of, uh, of angels and an order in heaven. Now he puts man on earth and in man is a woman. And now the Bible begins to describe how it says God blessed them. Verse 28, God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. What is this? This is the image of God. He was a reflection of God who is the highest in heaven. So now God in his own domain and having dominion there in, the, in that spiritual realm. Now Adam is an expression of the very highest in heaven. Because he has a domain. He has a dominion over all the things upon the earth. And so now this is God's picture unfolding. And we're taking our time now just to maybe describe this portrait. Because this is what we're facing the completion of. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 verses 7 and 8. Adam was first made supernatural. He's first made spiritual. It says, And then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now he's body, spirit, soul. Soul, spirit, body. Now he's this complete, this complete person. And now what he's done is he's taken the supernatural, spiritual Adam, and he's formed body. He hasn't created again. He's formed this body from the earth, and he's put the man into this flesh, into this body. And then... Immediately, he says, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And uh, there's just such a, a marvelous attention that you're holding today uh, on the word of God. And that's, that's a, a good credit to you because I realize I can be very difficult to follow at times because it's like, where are you going? Where are you going? And I apologize for that. Stick with me. I'll get somewhere eventually. Uh, and, and so there's with this a dynamic pull like this on the word, there's just so much you want to unfold and touch on. But I just want to make reference to this very quickly. It says he, God, now after he expresses how that man has been formed, and we know that in the man is the woman who has not gained expression yet, but he says he created male and female, created he them. Now he's putting this single unit into flesh. And then he says, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. So he formed man from the dust of the ground. And we can understand, even according to the language of the message, God had already sown the seeds of Adam's body in the earth. So he brings that forth and he puts Adam in it. And now he says he planted a garden eastward in Eden. And we know according to scripture, a garden is figurative of a wife. So he has planted already the wife. There's already, there's already been sown. He has already has the wife there in the garden. And, and eastward means in the beginning. So he had already beforehand sowed the seeds of the wife in, in Eden, which Eden means delight. So the seeds of God's delight had already been sown. And so the garden, which Brother Branham tells us that the garden was a location in Eden. All of Eden was not the garden, but in Eden there was to be a wife. What was he foreshadowing that at the end time, even in Satan's Eden, he had already sown a wife. He had already sown his delight. I will sow her unto me in the earth. Before Satan ever got to the earth, God had already sown a bride into it. Hallelujah. Why? Because God knew in the last days he would raise her up. He said, I'll sow her unto me in the earth. 
What was it representing? A wife. And he says, and there he put the man whom he had formed. God foreshadowing his great purpose. God foreshadowing his bride. Because now that there, now he takes the man and he puts the man in the garden. And again, it's a beautiful picture of what God does in this end time. Because God had already sown and put together and created. Even through six days, he brings this creation forth. And then it seems to be this, this great picture unfolding. He forms a man and he puts him in the garden that he had formed. In the garden that he had brought to manifestation, there he puts the man. And it's exactly what happens in this last day in Satan's Eden. God is able to achieve to himself a wife. And what does Brother Branham say about how it's gone up through Wesley, through Pentecostal, the tongues and the lips and now the eyes? He says, prophetic of Malachi 4. And there's nothing left for it to come but himself to step into that because that's the last thing there is. And what happens at the opening of the seven seals? It's Christ himself that steps into her. He himself, the intelligence. Why? Because God foreshadowed it in the very beginning. He took the man and he placed him in the garden. And in the last days in Satan's Eden, it's he himself that comes down into her. Amen. He says, and does God ever change his mind? He's talking about the three names that he comes in. Son of man, son of God, son of David. He says, in between the son of God and son of David, according to his own word, according to Malachi 4 and many scriptures, he's to return back into his church. In physical form. In the people. In human beings. Why? He's already foreshadowed it in Genesis 2.8. This is what I'm going to do in Satan's Eden. Nothing's caught God by surprise, but he sold you first. And now he comes down into you at the last. This is, the, this is what the, the picture that we're completing. And there he says he planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And in verse 18, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, because the picture has to continue to unfold. He says, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. This statement tells us that God's expression is not complete. Everything that God had done to this point, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. But now for the first time, God said it is not good. And what he means is it's not complete or perfect just yet. There's still another part to unfold. There's still something that needs to take place. And it, I, I, I make reference to this because it just comes into my heart. It says, when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part is done away. In other words, the part is made whole. You don't do away with it, but the incompleteness is done away with. The lacking is done away with. And we do have today, by divine vindication, that which is perfect. So we know that the perfection has come. The teleotes, the perfector, has come to his bride according to prophecy. Not denominational expectation, but according to the word. And Brother Branham says that this, he says, it's God himself. It's come, becoming to a place. He's governed the body all the way through. Then the complete body of Christ is revealed in the form of a bride that was taken out of his side like Adam's was at the beginning. So it comes into the complete. So that doesn't mean you do away with what was in part, but what was part is assumed and made perfect in the whole. 
We don't do away with Pentecost. It's part of the whole. We don't do away with sanctification. It's part of the whole. We don't do away with justification. It's part of the whole. Anything that was only part is now made perfect in this complete. What a time to be living in. What a great calling and expression that we have today. That we have it all. And we don't look down and despise any part of it. So he says, I will make a help meet for him. Because God has to unfold himself further. The expression is not complete. And so verse 22, it says, In the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. This is now not another creation, but a, taking, a further unfolding of that same creation. And we understand that Jesus Christ was the beginning of the creation of God. And so when God begins to bring forth the bride, it's not another creation, but it's that creation being expressed further. She comes forward as a super race, a super people. Why? Because she is coming from him. It's a further unfolding of the bridegroom. So he made a woman, and he, and he says that he took this rib, made he a woman, and brought her under the man. And he, Brother Ben says, he is showing, portraying here the bride. That's what he's portraying. That's what he's showing. And so now Adam and the woman are a further expression of God. And you, the bride, are portrayed in that expression. You're portrayed in here. Here's Adam. And then the woman comes forth. And then there's a supernatural bringing together of the woman to the man. And that's exactly what the revealing of the Son of Man in this last days is. It's the bringing of the bride to the man. It's the invisible union. It's the uniting of the bride to her mate. And so what happens in Genesis 2.22 is what's happened in this hour. The bride was portrayed in the woman. The bridegroom was being portrayed there. And now he has brought the woman to the man. The first purpose with the second full purpose coming together in a union to manifest the third purpose. It's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. The threefold purpose, the threefold mystery. And so he makes this statement in Satan's Eden. Having faith in all his words, his seeds, brought an Eden of holiness, love, and eternal life. That's what God's Eden produced, holiness. And it brought an Eden of holiness, of love, understanding, perfection, and eternal life. That's what God is planting, his word, his seed. What we're facing today is the completion of this word. God had faith in his own word, which was our seeds, and they were bringing forth holiness, love, eternal life, understanding, perfection. Now he brings it more into a present tense. That's what God is planting, his words, his seeds. That's what his church, and we, when he says his church, we can say the bride. That's what his church will be at the end. It will be the same thing. So he's connecting what you are now, his church, his bride. He's connecting what you are now to the original condition in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, there was holiness, love, eternal life, understanding, perfection. And he's saying that what the bride is now is exactly what that garden was then. Because his word seed produced that. Now the bride being original word seed, she, God is going to produce that in her now. So he's connecting the bride now to the original Eden condition then. A prophet's doing that. Why? Because that's what we're facing yet today. The completion of that word. The full and final expression and the full manifestation of all the potential of those seeds then. 
continuing, verse 23, Genesis 2, 23. I reread to verse 25, and Adam said this, and he's talking about the woman. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Brother Bram takes that same scripture, and he says of the bride. She is bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. She is him. He says, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Here you could see it's the picture has come to a place where God is foreshadowing that eternal Eden of Christ and his bride. This is something that's very beautiful to God. This is something that God delights in. This is, this is something that to God expresses his heart purpose. And this is the world that God loved. When the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, this is the world that God loved. And this is the only way that you could understand the love of God in the scripture when it says, love not the world nor the things of the world. Because if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. But then the Bible tells us that God so loved the world. So then in order for us to understand the scripture, you have to understand that the world that God loved is different than the world he doesn't love. And this is the world that God loved. For God so loved the world, the man and the woman in the garden of a perfect Eden. The garden of his delight, the God's pleasure. This is the world that God loved. This is what God gave his son to restore. This is what God loves and wants to bring back. It's not the world cosmos. It's not just everything in it. It's what God wanted to achieve by the original creation. And so God is foreshadowing the eternal Eden in Christ and the bride. Brother Bram says in the message masterpiece, and it was the stroke that cut the side of his masterpiece that brought out the bride. And that's the figure of Christ even himself being struck, and it brings forth the bride. And then he's, and then he's, bringing, and he's bringing it out of the reflection of Adam and the woman. He says, now we see them as a masterpiece family in the Garden of Eden. How beautiful it was, and it so pleased him till he took rest of them. He said, I'll rest. While he was resting and trusting to his masterpiece, his enemy come in and found this great masterpiece. And he, by deceit, crawls under the garden walls. And then he marred this beautiful masterpiece. And, and just notice he calls it a masterpiece of the family. This is how be- it's so beautiful and it pleased God. And he calls it a beautiful masterpiece. But Satan comes by deceit and he, and he causes the fall. Skipping now, he says, this masterpiece was walled by the word, God's word. And the masterpiece itself of the family was fortified by this word. But the broken part that was broke off the original went beyond that wall and it gave Satan a chance to mar it. Now, there's two things that we're, we're, we're kind of identifying there, but I, want not, I don't want this part to get lost. He's calling it a masterpiece of the family, a masterpiece family, fortified by the word, walled by the word. He's, he's describing something that we would see in Genesis 2, uh, uh, 25. Here it is, an expression of the man and the woman, walled by the word, under the headship of the word. This is a reflection of the masterpiece family. So he says, the great sculptor, when he seen the fall of his family, the masterpiece, he wasn't willing just to leave it laid there face down in ruin. He went to work immediately to build it up again. 
So the original masterpiece was the man and the woman. When God saw Adam alone in the garden, Brother Bram doesn't call that the masterpiece. He doesn't call it a masterpiece until the side is struck and the woman is brought out of it. Now he calls it a masterpiece because it's a man and a woman. And now you have a different makeup, a different, you have a different arrangement that can allow the word to express itself further. And it's beautiful just to ponder these statements as Brother Branham is identifying how that here's the man and the woman. And he makes this statement about how there was a part that's broken off. And that's the one that Satan went to and caused the fall. And, and I, I understand that there is a, to some maybe a great paradox, to others maybe a small paradox. But regardless, it still is a paradox that God made the woman this way so that she would fall. And God did it so that his attributes could be expressed. God knew what would happen. So Brother Benham, and, and now I'm just forgetting just exactly uh, which sermon it is. He says that it may be marriage and divorce where he makes this statement or maybe invisible union where he's identifying that because the, great wo- the woman took part in the fall and because she had her part in that and she was allowed to be used in the fall and God made it that way so that, that, that the further uh, redemption could be expressed. He says now she's been given a sacred charge for redemption. So because Satan used the woman to fall, God uses the woman for redemption. So in the beginning, Satan used her to bring death. Now in the end, God uses the bride to finally bring forth life that will defeat death. Death came by the woman. Death will finally be defeated by the woman. He just arranged it that way. I don't exactly understand why, but that's just the way he arranged it. He made that woman that she would fall and die, and he's made this bride so that she will not fall and would never die. That's just the way he's done it. And there in the Garden of Eden with a man and the woman and and an Eden that had been built through 6,000 years, there they are just dwelling in perfection. And one day Satan says, I'm going to mar this masterpiece. So I'm going to come down into this garden and I'm going to possess a human-like beast called a serpent. And I'm going I'm to indwell, incarnate myself in his flesh. And I'm going to motivate him and speak to him and cause him to speak to the woman. And by way of that message that I speak to her, I'm going to defile her thoughts and I'm going to give myself access to humanity. And Brother Bram says that God had reserved the right to himself to dwell in human flesh. So it's only after flesh is hybrid that the devil has access to it to get into it. Before then, in the original, Satan couldn't inhabit it. But he could inhabit the serpent just like he inhabited the swine. Those evil spirits inhabit the swine. So now he could inhabit a serpent. And he comes into it and he causes the woman to fall. And once flesh is hybrid, now he can motivate Cain and cause Cain to be a murderer. But before, he would have to use something external, possessing the serpent. Now he has access to it. But God still had reserved to himself the right to dwell in human flesh. And Jesus Christ becomes the one that revives the perfection that God himself can step down into and inhabit completely. But that's what happened in the beginning. That's what happened in the fall. So what was even being foreshadowed in a negative in the beginning is exactly what happens in the end time. Because after 6,000 years, Satan has his perfect Eden. 
Satan's Eden. He even got a name. He's the God of this evil age. He's got his perfect Eden. Everything is just set up perfectly. And God himself comes down into Satan's Eden, possesses the vessel of a redeemed son of God, and incarnates himself in the flesh of Malachi 4. And that man begins to speak a message to a woman. And the bride, hearing that message, receives something that brings her back to her right mind and impregnates her and keeps her free from death. God does to Satan what Satan did in his Eden, but God only allowed it so that you could come forth. You know, it's, it's remarkable. When you think about it, when Satan caused the great rebellion in heaven, I could just imagine God thinking, he has no idea that my wife is going to beat him in the end. He has no idea. I could deal with it right now, but I'm just going to wait till a woman comes up in the bride age, and I'm going to let her deal with it. He had no idea what was coming. Saying, man, look at this. I, look at the big split I got. I, I got. Look how many I got. And he felt legitimate because he counted. Look at how many I got. He felt vindicated. And God said, look, look, he has no idea what's coming. He knew one day he was going to raise up his wife to do it. Ah, that's, that's fun stuff. That's who you are. So now continuing on this, this, uh, this expression. He says in Genesis 1.28. And, and again, I, I know that it might seem like, wow, where, what, what do you mean by family life? I'm going to come to it, and it might just seem kind of quick. It might like be a, a kind of a jerky corner when we get there. But I'm doing this to understand what we're called to be in these last days. I, I'll admit, these things are really, really fun to preach. But the reality of it is in your everyday life. I mean, it's, it's lovely to preach all the types and all these things. They're really exhilarating and they're moving. Um, but it can't just be a tickle to your ear. It, it's got to be bitter in your belly at some point. Got to be something that's transforming, something that has an impact. And so in Genesis 1, 28, it says, and God blessed them. We're coming back to what we had read a moment ago. And God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. So when he tells them to be fruitful and multiply, this is a commandment that's given to the man and the woman. And replenish means fill it up. Bring it to its perfection. Bring it, make it full to what I have in my mind of all this elect seed, all these foreordained, all these ones that I held in my all these names in the Lamb's book of life. He's foreshadowing that there are, there are a people. And what does Brother Brandon tell us about the woman? He says she would have eventually brought forth that child, that son. Not, and I think it is obviously just hypothetically, but it's to make a point that that's what God originally envisioned in this perfect race is that the original seed would come forth and it would be a, a son of God. So he's saying that they're called to be fruitful and multiply and in being fruitful in multiplying, reduplicating themselves, they would fill up God's purpose. They would finish. I'll say this in case I, I fail to make it, note it later. Brother Abraham says this commandment was never fulfilled by the man and the woman. Spoken words of the original seed. This commandment, Genesis 1.20, never was ever fulfilled by Adam and the woman. So if we take this scripture of the man and the woman, this is the commandment that they're placed under. And so the original masterpiece, as Brother Bram calls it, was a masterpiece family. The masterpiece itself of a family. His family, the masterpiece. They are a family under commandment. 
And this is a further expression of God's heart purpose and God's mystery. A man and a woman, not just to be married, but under a commandment to be fruitful and multiply. And this is expressed again because the threefold purpose of God manifested in Adam and the woman. He says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, Therefore, after the woman is brought to the man... This, and I guess it could be read two different ways. This could be Adam continuing to say, uh, this is a woman because she's been taken out of the man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother? To me, when I read it, it's as if Adam is continuing to speak. And Adam is prophesying. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now, what's outstanding here? is that he's using a language that before would not have been, that has not been introduced necessarily, when he sees the woman, and it could be said that what the, made the woman different, it was a man with a womb, and the very Hebrew word for help meet means a second self. And so the woman was given to the man, she was equal but opposite, like a mirror image. And what you see in the mirror is yourself, but opposite. And the woman was equal to the man and was like the man, but opposite, so that she was complementary. If they were both, if they were both the same, then they couldn't fulfill God's purpose. So not only do you see in the beginning, God is expressing his original purpose and original desire that marriage is between a man and a woman to fulfill his purpose. Any other arrangement is perverted. And the man and the woman looked alike. And the reason for that is because God's original purpose. Listen, the things Brother Branham taught, I, I say this maybe carefully. The things Brother Branham taught, if you're not careful, and you attribute his teachings to some carnal motive and objective, then you'll actually give yourself a tool to erase almost everything in the message. Well, Brother Branham said what he said about the woman because he was a misogynist. And Brother Branham said the things he did about a woman because it was chauvinism. And well, Brother Branham taught that because of racism. And if you're not careful, you just wind yourself right out of the word of God. But it's all part of his desire in the beginning. When he says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. You do recognize what just happened. He has just identified a man of the, of the man and the woman. Therefore shall a man leave the man and the woman. So this man will leave. The man is now a father. The woman is now a mother. And shall cleave to his wife. And this is part of the original word. And this word, Genesis 2.24, signified that there was to be more to the masterpiece than just the man and the woman. There was to be a product of the union. And there was to be another re reproduction of the man. And then that was to repeat itself again where that man would have himself a woman. And they would be fruitful and multiply. And God's expression would come forth until the earth was complete. Do you understand the, 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 the delicate point we're trying to make there? That it was foreshadowed in Genesis 2.24 that it wasn't just the man and a woman, but a man would come from the man, and the man would become a father, and the woman would become a mother, and that man would have to leave them to be joined to his wife. It says, and the two shall be one flesh. Brother Branham writes it this way, and he's drawing from the spoken words of the original seed. And he says, and, and I, I failed to note it, and I could be mistaken. I'll just say it's possible that this could be part of the uh, pick up your pencil, pick up your pen. He says, the first son, Adam, was the spoken seed word of God. He was given a bride to reproduce himself. That is why the bride was given to him to reproduce himself, to produce another son of God. 
So the reason why God gave him a bride was so that she, through her, he could actually duplicate the man. And to reproduce himself, he was in the image of God. He had a particular likeness. And so he had to give a woman that was a complement to his image so that through this union, she would produce a son that was in his image. But if he, if he mixed himself with someone who was not a part of himself, a woman that didn't look like himself, then he could not produce a son like himself. And that's exactly what the woman did in hybriding. The original sin, the, the original sin isn't serpent seed. The original sin is an act that produced serpent seed. And so the woman, through mongrelizing, through hybriding, that's the original sin, going contrary to God's original purpose and defiling her design because God had given her to the man to reproduce the man, and she couldn't do that through some other means. So the bride is given to reproduce the bridegroom. That's why Christ was given a bride on the day of Pentecost. And her purpose to re- was to reproduce the bridegroom. But before he could marry her, she had fallen. But what happens in this end time? An invisible union. And the bride will bring forth the entire word of God in its fullness. The full word is to be born into manifestation again at the opening of the seven seals. What is it? The bride finishing the purpose. He was given a bride to reproduce himself. That is why a bride is given to reproduce himself, to produce another son of God. She was given a work to do with him. And if I could put it this way, he was given a job that he couldn't finish unless he had a wife. And so that's why the scripture reads a little bit odd in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. I I made a comment Friday night that I was going to preach to 1230. And they, they didn't know I was referring to Sunday afternoon. I, I don't even really have to take a moment to look. My watch is set on Eastern time because that's where I live now. And I didn't change it when I got here. And what happens, sometimes you look down and you say, oh, my goodness, it's 135. I've been preaching for how long? And you panic. And I did that once and closed the service. And I'd been preaching maybe 30, 45 minutes. And I thought I'd been preaching a couple hours. And everybody's wondering, what? why did you stop? We, we, we're glad you did, but why? Why did you stop? <clears throat> And uh, it was because I looked at my watch wrong. So some of you now are thinking, oh, please, 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 just look at it wrong. It's 1.30. And you're, you're trying to use the power of, you know, make me think it's 1.30. But I, I, I know better right now that it's not. And I apologize if this is, I'll try to bring it to a close and I'll finish this afternoon. I encourage you to come back because I'm just laying the foundation for this afternoon. And now read this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 20, and you'll find... It's a very unique reading. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. And it's like, wait a minute, what? We were just reading how that God said that man should not be alone. I'll make him a helpmeet. And then he starts talking about forming animals. And I know some of you hunters are saying, that's right. I needed a helpmeet. I need to go get me some meat. Need to go hunting. But, that's, but he's actually changed the picture somewhat to understand better what he means by Genesis 2.18. Because now he says, I need someone to work with Adam. Help me, the second self. One who's complementary to him to finish his purpose and to complete his purpose. He says, because out of the ground I'd formed every beast of the field. And there was fowl of the air. And I brought them to Adam so that he could work. So that he could do a job, and he was to name them. He says, to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. 
And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. So Adam, animal kind after animal, species after species, male, female, named them. He's working. He's working in the garden. He's got a great work he needs to do. He's the one that comes to the first expression. God gave him a purpose. Here he is on earth fulfilling God's purpose, doing that which the Father has motivated him to do. And he's doing a great work. But he's, but he's now comes to a place where the Bible says, and Adam, and, but for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. And it says this because two things. In creation, each one of these fowl of the air or the beast of the field would have been an expression of male and female. And Adam would have noticed that here's this expression all through creation, but yet himself he does not have it. And there would have been something in him that identified male, female, male, female. And he might have found himself communing with his thoughts. Just like God in the very beginning, they're having fellowship with his thoughts, thinking of you. You are on his mind. You are real. You are eternal in the thoughts of God. And now this woman is real. She's there in the man. And as he's doing this great work, she's there with him. She's identified in the naming. She's identified in the great work. That's why Brother Bram says when Jesus walked on the water, you were there. When he multiplied the bread, you were there. When Adam was naming those beasts, she was there. But he couldn't finish his work without her. She couldn't remain a mystery hid in him. He had to take her out. So Adam could not finish all the work he was given without an expression of the woman. And that's why he places it there. So, and again, I believe it's just the beautiful arrangement of Scripture. Adam is doing a work. He's on earth. He's in an earthly ministry. He's doing a work, but he couldn't complete it. So God has to bring forth the woman for him to complete it. So he inserts this earthly work of one of the deeds that Adam could do alone. But then he says, I've got to bring forth the woman. And Brother Branham says in the church age book, chapter 5, By and through the members of the bride will be fulfilled all that was promised of God to be made manifest in the virgin. You catch what he said? Whether you're talking about the virgin church of the first, uh, first church in the day of Pentecost or the virgin in Genesis 2. Brother Abraham says, by and through the members of the bride. Are there any members of the bride here today? You can raise your hand if you want to identify. So by and through you, the members of the bride. So now it's not just, well, by, by a connection and kind of through a, 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 a symbolic representation that bride around the world, they're going to do things. No, you're going to be a part of it. By and through the members of the bride will be fulfilled all that was promised of God to be made manifest in the virgin. So the virgin had potential. She had a promise. She had an ability. She was to manifest, to express, and to bring forth. She was to reproduce the Son of God. She was to manifest that and bring it forth. And she did not finish it. She never did bring that forth. Brother Bram says, now you will fulfill all that was promised of God to be made manifest in the virgin. Isn't that wonderful? Genesis 1.28 never caught into the womb of, uh, of the woman in the beginning. But one day it caught into the womb of a virgin called Mary. And Genesis 1.28 is the seed of the original commandment. It's the seed that the woman should have brought forth. But what God does now is he preserves that word to a time where a woman receives that seed. A virgin, Mary, receives that seed. And Brother Abraham says, here's the secret of it. The word is in the bride as it was in Mary. 
So Mary now receives that seed to bring forth the bridegroom of Genesis 1.28. And so Jesus Christ now is the seed of the original commandment. So in him, there has to be a wife. And so he is the seed of the original commandment. And now the man it revives Genesis 1.28. He's the seed of Genesis 3.15. He's the new race. He's a new creature. He's the beginning of the creation of God. So now that the man has come back, the woman has to come back. And here she is. She will fulfill all that was promised of God to be made manifest in the virgin. And Brother Branham continues. I'll skip a little bit, but this is where he makes this great statement. He did not complete all his work while in his earthly ministry. So now he works in and through the bride. She knows that, for it was not yet time for him to do certain things that he must now do. He didn't finish all his work when he was in his earthly ministry, but he did work. He, he was doing things, and there was things that were accomplished, things that were done, but there was still yet something he could not do outside of the wife. So he says, but now... He will, he will now fulfill through the bride that work which he left for this specific time. Yeah. Hallelujah. Just like it was in Genesis 2. Here it is in the end. He left to work for this specific time. And he had to bring the bride forth to do it. So in Genesis we can see the picture of God. The beginning of God's picture of himself unfolding. And just look at how important the meaning is of it. These things we're trying to express to you, it holds such a substantial, significant meaning to us. But everybody says, this is where we're facing yet the completion of that word. We're facing the completion of it. This is where, this is where we stand today to be the expression of it. He will now fulfill through the bride that work which he left for this specific time. Just as Adam was doing a work and the woman had to come forth for him to finish it and they never finished it. And, and just as Christ did a work and then the woman come forth and then she was fallen. Now God has raised him back together again today. And now you stand here with the privilege of being able to complete that word. Now this might seem to be a, 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 an odd turn for this, but I want to make it more practical. And he's saying this in the masterpiece, the great masterpiece of the family. The second Adam and the second Eve now ready for the garden, the millennium, back on earth. Hallelujah. The great sculptor didn't leave them lay there. He took time as he did through the millions of years molding the first perfect couple and they fell. Now it's been through thousands of years. He's molded again and now here they are ready. The masterpiece was come and struck down. From his side come forth the helpmate. And she is brought up in the same process. Now, here she is back again with all nature, the Bible, everything else showing here we are. Wow. Think about it. If, if we could, I mean, I, I can start over and go back all over it again. It was, it was the fun part. But if you could just think about where we've come in this great picture I've been trying to describe to you, this great word that we're completing, this great mystery hid in Adam the woman, how it foreshadowed, and we're trying to bring the, the, the shadow there, the type here, and showing it completed, come, where we're coming today, where we're coming today, all these great mysteries, a language of invisible union, a language of, of the token, a language of the revelation of the Son of Man, the language of him returning back in physical form, a great mystery that stumbles people today. 
and all these great things that are so precious to us. The third pull, the opening of the word, the revealing, uh, the, the opening of the seven seals, the mighty angel taking the book, the seventh angel being on earth at the time of the coming of Revelations 10.1. Even Revelations 10, 8 to 11, our table today, our place to prophesy again, to take the book and eat it up, and all these things that we could describe, and all these things that could be expressed in the Word. But what's the reality of it at the end of the day? Is it merely something we can talk about when we're here? Listen, this isn't a fantasy. This isn't like Dungeons and Dragons or whatever where we sit around and we, we have our little gathering together and we do this thing and we play a role and we kind of enjoy it and it's great and we have these alternate identities and then we kind of go back to our regular life and we break up. This isn't World of Warcraft where we have this, we have this image that we have in a, a fake realm and a virtual reality and we've crafted this image and we have this character and we achieve certain things and we gather together at conferences and conventions in certain ways or, or even virtually online and we have this great activity together. Then we go back to our regular lives that there's just some other fantasy that we're living somewhere else. Church isn't like that. This isn't just some game we're playing or some fantasy we're engaging in. We just kind of come together and talk about all these things that really thrill us. And boy, this is really fun. It's just been kind of a gathering of gamers. And then we break up and go to our other life. No, this message isn't like that. This message is the reality. This is a gathering to, to, to bring us to a place to where we can go live it to a greater way. Not fantasize about the next service, but may this service allow me to express and manifest this life more perfectly on a Monday. And listen, those are the kind of ministries I love that not just are able to take the seventh seal and preach it on a Sunday, but they make it relevant on Monday to Saturday. I just don't want a message that tickles me on a Saturday night. I just don't want something to get me excited to make me shout and run around. I want a word that makes me live. And make this seven still relevant in my everyday life. Did you find that's exactly what Brother Bram's doing through his teachings on these great things? Even go back and listen to the question and answers on the seals and find how Brother Bram's emphasizing even at the very time that this angel's taking the book and these seals are unfolding and this great seventh seal is going uh, 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 to be spoke about that night and he's going to bring forth certain things and he's telling us just live the life, just live the life, just live the life. Because it's part of the mystery. And Brother Bram says, now she's back again with all nature, the Bible and everything else showing here we are. He says, notice the great masterpiece of the family. And he says, the husband and wife cannot be truly a family unless they are one. Now it's just got real. Because now he's describing it in reality. The husband and wife cannot truly be a family unless they are one. They have to be. If they're not, they're not a good family. Wife pull in one way and the husband another that would make an awful family. But in agreement with love one to the other, that's a family. What is it? It's an expression of the masterpiece family. Who's he instructing and teaching now? The husbands of the masterpiece family, the wives of the masterpiece family. He's talking to the members of the bride that will fulfill all that was promised of God to be made manifest in the virgin. He's actually speaking to the members while he's talking about, oh, she's back again. All heaven's behind her. All nature, everything. Here it is, the Bible. Everything's testifying. The bride is back. And now he begins to describe our everyday life as bride. Husband, wife, do you get along? Are you, are you, are you, are you in agreement with love one to another? He said, that's a masterpiece. He says, now that was God's masterpiece. And now all the true family here portrays that. So now he's, he's just made it real personal, made it real practical. 
I know this, it might seem like, a, like I said, it's going to be a big, big change and, and maybe the emphasis, but this is what I've been building to, to give it the, the right kind of frame, the right kind of foundation. To realize that when these things are talked about, these things are preached, it has context with the great mystery that we believe so much. The great reality, he himself coming back into his church, the intelligence. And are we to say that we have the intelligence, we have the mind of Christ to know what he wants done with the word, but we don't know how to raise our children, we don't know how to treat our wives? And he says, and now that was God's masterpiece, and now all the true family here portrays that. So a true family here is a reflection and a portrait of God. An expression of God. He says, now the masterpiece family has come again. Christ and his bride ready to come. The second Adam, second woman, second Eve, ready now to return back to their home. And the whole picture has been redemption. You find that Brother Branham begins to emphasize in certain ways the next coming of being the one where he returns back with his bride in the millennium. And other places there in the summer of 64, he's referring to him revealing, revealing himself to the Jews. Why? It's the reality that he's doing something now in his bride to motivate her. To take her out of the mode of the cycle of revival of death of the church ages. Because there was always a message that came and there was a hope. There was a waiting. But now after the opening of the seals, the delay is over. The hope is now realized, and it's not so much of, of a waiting as it is a manifestation. And he's bringing this to reality, and he says, now, all, if I could phrase it this way, all true families here portray God's masterpiece of a family. So your family is ordained to portray God's original purpose. What a high calling today. You want to know the, under, the reality of the third pull, the revelation of the seventh seal. Here's a high calling. Reflect and portray God's masterpiece family. Amen. The masterpiece family re represented and reflected what God wanted to become. It was something he could not be unless he or could not have unless he became it. Ponder that for a moment. It was something that God could not have. He didn't want to have a family. Or if you say, if I could put it this way, he wanted to have a family, but he couldn't have it unless he became it. And so this is his ultimately, uh, ultimate objective, is to achieve to himself a bride. And he begins to reflect it in the family of Adam and the woman, arranged behind the word, ordered by the word. And so your family today portrays that. Your family is an expression of God. Your family is ordained to portray God's order. It's an opportunity for you to depict God's character. It's your way to be in a reflection of all the attributes that are in God. Parenthood, Brother Ben said, originated in God. So when you become a parent, you become a, a, an individual who enters into an office that has an opportunity to express God. You can, this is, the, the relationships we have to one another is an opportunity for us to express Christ-like manners, Christ-like behavior, Christ-like attributes. Brother Brown says, in Christ is a mystery, he says, but what he wanted to do, he says he loved fatherhood, for he was a father. He was the original parent. He says, and the only way that he could express it, fatherhood, was to become a son of man. Isn't that beautiful? The only way he could become a father is he had to become a son. And the only way that he could be a husband, he has to become a bride. He's the becoming God. He wants to express himself. He just doesn't want to have. He wants to become. 
He loved fatherhood. And he loved fatherhood so much, the only way that he could express fatherhood is he become the son of man. The only way to express is to become. And the only way God is going to be expressed is when you become him. In Genesis, God gave purpose and meaning to the family unit. This wasn't just something that happened by chance. Or just like they say with, with evolution, that it was just kind of a lottery that through billions of years, which each, with each uh, expression of these genes, all of a sudden something different happened and another cell formed. And they literally describe it as just a randomization, just by chance. And that's why it took billions of years, because it was just one in trillions of years, all of a sudden this cell formed another one. And, it was all, and all these things that just happened over chance. This one dies off, this one dies off, this one survives, this one mutates and forms and evolves. But that's not how God ordained the family came to be. It wasn't by accident that he made the man, uh, uh, male and female, then brought the female part out of him and then gave them both a commandment to be fruitful, multiply, in order to complete God's original purpose. He had arranged it that way because it reflected the highest in heaven. It reflected his ultimate objective. Brother Branham says it this way, and it's very, very beautiful, the language he uses. He says, and sirs, we would see Jesus in 1964. All these things are attributes of God. Just so that in the end, the Bible said, Jesus said, you will know that I am in the Father, the Father in me, I in you, and you in me. And Brother Bram said, that day is this day. This scripture, Brother Bram says, that that day you shall know. He says, what day? This day. This day, this scripture is fulfilled. This day, when the revelation is brought forth, when the revelation is made known. And he says, it's God becoming tangible. And who? In physical form. He's returned back into his church in physical form, in the people, in human beings. And Brother Brown talking about the revealing of the Son of Man, and he says the only way he can do it is when he gets in your flesh, showing that in the last days he'd be revealed as the Son of Man. I challenge you to believe that he's revealed in the form of Son of Man through the bride's body. This is the thing, this is the language that he's using. He says it's God becoming tangible. And I know that we could preach that, especially in a convention-like atmosphere, where it just really, really enthuses us. But then the reality is, he says, God, it's God becoming tangible. Your own wife, you and your husband, it's just a shadow, a negative of God and his wife, the church. So it's got to be a reality of the man and the woman today. Because he's saying you are a, a representation of God as husband and wife. It's just God's attributes being displayed. It's God's shadows and types like the Old Testament was to the New. He says then it all winds up God tangible. God in Christ tangible, made flesh and dwelt among us. And in the great millennium to come, God in the form of Christ sits upon the throne of David. And the church is bride, husband and wife together. He's actually expressing all these tangible forms of God. And he's telling us that you as a husband and you as a wife are tangible expressions of God. Why? Those are offices of God. Brother Bram said that marriage is the oldest institution in the world. He said marriage was first performed first and instituted in the Garden of Eden. So in, the, in this original, as Brother Bram says, that's what we're facing yet, the completion of that word. There was a shadow. There was a type. He was representing something greater in this arrangement. And the reality that we're brought to this hour, to the invisible union now, takes us to the place where we can say, I know now in this end time God's doing something he's never done before. God's original masterpiece, even as Brother Ram calls it a portrait, God unfolding his picture, was a family. Now, I, let me see what time it is. Well, it's almost 2 o'clock. 
I, I want to express this. I, I, again, I apologize if it seems to be a little bit of a change in momentum. And again, I say the, 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 the matter is not the manner. But just hopefully the Holy Spirit can just dovetail this together. The original masterpiece was not a church. It was a family. And God, God believes in that arrangement and that unit so much, he calls that the masterpiece. I believe it was maybe Brother Ed was telling the story, or someone was telling the story yesterday, how a man was on a deserted island for many, many, many years. And they finally rescued him. And if I get the, if it was Brother Jared or somebody else that was telling, I apologize if I forgot the, the I'm, I'm sure they'll correct it later if I don't attribute the right uh, uh, storyteller. But they said when they rescued this man, they saw that there was three buildings. And they said, well, what's this building here? He says, this is, this is the building I lived in. This is my house. And they said, well, what's this building here? He says, that's church, the church I went to. And they're, okay, and they go, well, then what's that other one down there? He goes, well, that's the church I used to go to. And so, and now I've taken ownership of it. Now when they think of that joke, they're going to think it's me that told it. But it wasn't me. It was somebody else yesterday. Uh, but he, it, it, it shows that there's, uh, the point I want to make is we could make church the ultimate. And it's not. I, I'm the type that, go, uh, that lives to eat. Instead of eating to live. It's just how much I enjoy food. But it, you have it the wrong way. You really should just eat to live, not live to eat. Because if you live to eat, you can become unhealthy. And then you don't live anymore. But if you eat to live, then you can live longer. And if you, if you, go to, if you, if you live to go to church, that can be unhealthy. But if you go to church to live, you can get healthier. And so that the dynamics that God wants to build and strengthen is not so much the church, but the family. And it's strong families that make a strong church. And so the original masterpiece was not a church. It was not a pastor. It was not people in offices. And that's not how God originally expressed himself. God expressed himself as son and daughter with a purpose to bring forth more children and to raise children. Brother Abraham even said Adam was a son of God. Eve was a daughter of God. To do what? To produce, these are my words now, bringing it in from the church age, but to produce another son of God. Adam was a son of God. The woman was a daughter of God. To produce another Adam. And so church is not a substitute for families. But its, its purpose is to strengthen families by the word. So the word preached here is to make you a better husband. It's to make you a better father. It's to make you a better wife. It's to make you a better mother. It's to make you better children. To make you better brothers and sisters. So that even the church itself can be a reflection of family. To where this church becomes family. And we feel like we're part of a family. And you're my brother. You're my sister. And together we become a family. And if we do that, then literally church provides a dynamic so that those who do not have a family can operate as one. But you can't achieve that by breaking up the family. You can only do it by allowing and achieving a masterpiece family that is one. And so Satan's attack in Eden was to disrupt, disrupt the family. To corrupt its purpose. That's what he did. He defiled the order of the family. The original arrangement of God's word to fulfill his purpose. He came and attacked that. Let me just see where 
how far I want to go with this. Brother Branham says, as we were just reading a moment ago, the husband and wife cannot truly be a family unless they are one. They have to be. If they're not, they're not a good family. The wife pulling one way, the husband another. That would make an awful family, but an agreement with love to the other, that's a family. I believe the third pull is manifesting itself in our marriages. Manifesting itself in the way that we care for our children. Brother Bram says in oneness, and we'll close with another statement, this one and another one. He says, any man in his family, a correct, good, noble, obedient family is one with another. Any family. And if there's something in the family that moves them apart, then it's not right. The family's broken somewhere. They should all be one. Father with mother, mother with father, children with parent, parent with children, all in agreement. And when you see that, you'll see one lovely picture. He says, that's God's purpose. What's God's purpose for us to be arranged together? Husband to wife, wife to husband, children to parent, parent to children, to be arranged together to express Christ. He says, in his purpose, his father supreme was to be one with his family, earthly family, Adam and Eve. And the only way that he could be one with the family or with God was because God's nature was in them. And shouldn't we, who have God's nature in ourselves, should we not be able to express perfect fatherhood, perfect motherhood, and and a a love between a husband and wife that declares the presence of God? I know it's a high calling, but we should aspire to it. The musicians would come. Brother Branham says in the message adoption, he says nothing existed before him. He was all the existence there ever was. This is part one just before your birthday, Brother Ed. He says, nothing existed before him. He was all the existence there ever was. Self-existence one. El Ella Elohim. Means all-sufficient, all-powerful, almighty, self-existence one. What did he dwell alone with? His thoughts. Who are his thoughts? You. He says, oh, but in Genesis 2, when he made man, he said, I am Y-A-H-U-J-U-V-U-H, Yahweh Jehovah. What did it mean? I am the all-existence one who has created something off of myself to be a son of mine or a temporary or little amateur little one of mine. Oh, glory. He says Jehovah means that he gave man to be an amateur God. So this is a further expression of God. But notice what happens with the name change from Elohim to Jehovah. He says because he was father God, he made a man an amateur God. So he isn't self-existence anymore. He exists with his family. Oh, the potential of that man. God changed from Elohim to Jehovah. He says he exists with his family. El, Elah, Elohim. Now he is Jehovah. Jehovah meaning the one who exists with his family. He cannot be Jehovah without you. What is Jehovah Jireh? The one that exists with his family to care for her, to provide for her, to bring her into existence. One who exists with his family. Now God made man to be the predominant over all the earth. He had dominion and the earth was man's dominion. Is that scripture? Then if that's his domain, he was God over earth. He could speak and it would be so. He could speak and it would be so. There he is, God, Jehovah, the one who once existed in self-existence, but now exists with his family and his little ones with him. There you are. Do you think about that beautiful spiritual supernatural family picture? And then when you realize today that a man with his wife and his children is a picture of Jehovah. 
He now exists with his family. A father together with the wife and their children all reflect God in heaven. It is an expression of Jehovah. This bride will be the final expression of God. God expresses his desire for order in the original arrangement. We'll just pick up on this in the afternoon. Because there's power in order. It's not just the appearance of it. Where you have kind of a, 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 anybody can throw together. I mean, listen, let's just be honest. And I don't know what kind of distribution this sermon will have. But uh, I doubt it will be very broad because they tell you who's preaching before they post, when they post it. But, I mean, let's just be honest. History's taught us that just about anybody could start a church and have one. So, I mean, anybody can make a church and have a church and have people. So it's not just the mere appearance of it. It's not just the formality of it and the formal arranging of things, but it's the reality. It's the actual weaving together of parts. Wherein the unit is now functioning according to God's design, and it becomes an expression of God's divine purpose. And it's in that that family life completes the original purpose of God. Because that's what we're facing today, the completion of that word. Could we stand to our feet together? Maybe we could sing that song, Jehovah Jireh. Do you sing it, my provider? I sing it, the key of C. You are more than enough for me. Jehovah means God now exists with his family. That's what you are today. You're an expression of his divine purpose. Aren't you glad to be a part of that family? Aren't you glad to be called to this? This hour, is it challenging? Is this last... 20, 30 minutes or so been challenging to you? Well, now you can say, Jehovah Jireh, come now. If I'm, a, if I'm a piece of that original, then Lord, I can't do this on my own. If maybe you just want to lift your hands in prayer as I pray for you. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we're just going to bring this to a close now. It's been a wonderful uh, a gathering of believers with a great pull in their hearts, a tremendous response to the Word. Lord, I could say as a man of God, I've enjoyed the labor I've enjoyed expressing these things from your word. Father, I would pray that it would not merely be an enjoyment, but, Father, there would be a fulfillment, that it would be fulfilling in the hearts of the people, that they would be satisfied, Lord. Lord, there's things that we can do where in the world, we remember all the pursuits of the world that left us dissatisfied. No matter how fun it seemed at the time, there was an emptiness afterwards. And, Lord, I would not want anyone to leave today and feel empty. But if they've been challenged by the word of God, may they have a sense of fulfillment in knowing that these great mysteries that are being revealed to us today have power in them to make us better husbands, to make us better fathers, better wives, better mothers, and even to our children, to the young people, to teenagers, to young adults, that it can help us to become better members of the natural family. Why? Because it is your desire to uh, express yourself in singleness. It's your desire to represent yourself as a couple. It's your desire to represent and express yourself through family. It's this great picture being completed in this hour. It's been framed. It's been identified. Now it's taking shape and form. Lord, I believe the bride in this hour is going to bring forth children under the token. Father, may we have token families. We have them. May we achieve them. Father, I pray now for those families that they could become one. If there's been a wife pulling this way and a husband pulling that way, may they today just grab a hold of each other's hands as they stand next to each other and say, I know we're in love. Let's be in agreement. 
Let's go forward with this message we've been taught. Let's go forward with these great truths that we hold in our hearts. And let's express it to one another. Let's express it with compassion towards our children. Let's express it with divine love, which can only be expressed according to thy word. So I commit the people to your hands, desiring that you hold us in an atmosphere. Hold this thought, Lord, as it were, right here and pause for us to meditate on. And we gather back together this afternoon, Lord. I, I want to go further in this. I feel it just bubbling forth in my heart to continue the momentum, Lord, of these great truths in this hour. It is the rising of the sun. What is the attraction on the mount? The invisible union. Who is this Melchizedek? The feast of the trumpets, the unveiling of God. Going beyond the camp, the masterpiece. Lord, all these things is something that's burning, burning this great seventh seal. Christ is the mystery of God revealed. Lord, it's burning. It's bubbling, Lord. It's unfolding to make us live this word. And a life lived by the word would be the word expressed. And once the word is expressed, your purpose is fulfilled. Let us then, Father, complete this great mystery of Adam and the woman. Let us now, Lord, I must do it as your prophet said. I must complete your purpose. Let us be faithful to it, Lord, I pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Jehovah Jireh, oh my provider, you are more than enough for me.
Let's sing the first one again. Just worship the Lord. Ponder these things in your heart. Jehovah. If you need the Lord to touch you today, just reach out to Him. My same key if we could peace of God cover me cover me before we begin to sing it this is I think why this song just drops in my heart if you if you go and you look at the message of power of transformation Brother Branham talks about how the soldier this minister went out this clergyman went out on a battlefield where mustard gas poison had just struck a whole battlefield and he's just death all around and he said, but then underneath the rock, he said, there was an Easter lily, I think is maybe what he described it as. And he said, it lived. Despite the mustard gas, despite death all around in the battlefield, one of the greatest battles ever fought, there was still life under the rock. And Brother Graham, in that message, talks about Satan was a deformer, and he'd poisoned humanity and deformed them. But now Brother Graham tells a story of how there was a place of safety in the midst of poison. Satan sowed his poisonous gas, but there was a place to keep you from the deformity. And, and uh, so much could be said on this, but the reason why the world is as perverted as it is today, and the reason why North America is where it is, is Brother Bram says he broke the back of fatherhood. Satan did. He broke the family. He broke the back of motherhood. And that's what brought perversion into the family and subsequently into the church. And so he diagnoses the reason why this world is as foul and as wicked as it is and why Satan's Eden has come to this great perfection is because Satan broke the backbone of the family. Now, that comforts me because I then know that the strength against the world is a strong family. 
to have a backbone as a father, to have a backbone as a mother, for me to get in my place as a husband, my wife to get into her place. And that becomes the rock under which my lilies, my family can grow and be protected from all the nonsense that is in the world. Listen, don't be afraid of what's out there in the world, on the internet, at school, all the things that's rampaging. Let the heathen rage. Let them shout. Let them cry. Let them try to produce all sorts of fearful uh, sights coming. You have a family that can be under the token and under the protection of this message. And that'll make your sons men. That'll make your daughters ladies. And it can keep them and protect them. And I realize it's a great battle. It's a great challenge. And we love the great deep mysteries. But I want it to be a reality. This great mystery that's unfolding this hour. It's being expressed in your family life. And I know it's a great challenge. So maybe just something inside of me just says, Lord, help me. Give me strength. And this song comes into my heart. Hey, Lord, just cover me up. When I'm weak, when, I, when I'm unable, Lord, when I don't know what to do, Lord, let it just come and cover me. Oh, peace of God, cover me. Jesus, cover me. Oh, I love these words. 